codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. You're listening to episode 186, if you can believe that, of Priority One Podcast, the premier Star Trek online podcast. Recorded Thursday, August 14th, 2014, live on trekradio.net and available for download or streaming on Monday, August 18th, 2014 at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Jace. I'm Cookie. And I'm Elijah. And in the recording booth is our audio engineer, Skiffy. Hello. What do we have in store this week, Cookie? This week we check out an interview with Garrett Wong and talk about his involvement with Star Trek Online. In STO news, Delta Rising has been officially announced, but things have been quiet in terms of official follow-up articles or blogs from Perfect World. Nevertheless, we've got patch notes and an introduction to the Delta Quadrant races. In Command School this week, Professor Jace talks about the infamous power creep. Maybe you know it well. Maybe you have no clue what it means. Regardless, the professor will help expand your MMO mind and help you understand how it affects you. Later in our Community Spotlight segment, we get an update on the independent film project Star Trek Horizon from its creator Tommy Kraft. Later, we'll open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming from you, our listeners. Captains, this week we have a special guest blog, originally posted on the 12th Fleet website by Hevach, and the discussion is the many faces of the Kobayashi Maru no-win scenario throughout Trek lore. Check out this blog and others only on PriorityOnePodcast.com. Captains, Star Trek Las Vegas has come and gone, but it remains fresh in our hearts. Again, a huge thank you for supporting our Indiegogo campaign, because without your support, none of it would have happened. The following message is for our backers. In the next week, Elijah will begin packaging together all the perks and sending them your way. And like we wrote in the perks descriptions, you should have your rewards by September. Keep an eye on your email so that if we have any questions, we can easily contact you please add at PriorityOneNetwork.com and at PriorityOnePodcast.com to your safe senders list to avoid it dumping into spam. And last but not least, a big thanks to Cryptic Studios and Perfect World Entertainment for their support throughout the entire endeavor. Thank you for your support of Priority One Podcast at this year's Star Trek Las Vegas convention. Well, Captains, let's trek out our on-site interview with Garrett Wong at the 2014 Star Trek Las Vegas convention. Then let's trek it out. Captains, we are joined by Garrett Wong. Captain Harry Kim. Wow, you promoted me? Oh, no. Star Trek Online promoted you. Oh. Star Trek Online promoted you. You are now captain of the Rhode Island in Star Trek Online. Did you know that? Were you aware of that? No, but I only have two words for that. Oh, my. Ah. Now, so we have to ask you this. So a few uh, weeks ago, maybe a few months ago, you had tweeted that there might be the opportunity for you to do voice work for Star Trek Online. Yeah. Can you confirm? 
confirm or deny that? I will tell you this. I should not have tweeted that. <laughs> I got in trouble for tweeting that. We noticed. But now, but now the cat's out of the bag. Yes, I will be doing work for Star Trek Online. I will be actually recording in September, actually. But I can't give any more details other than uh, that. Understood. So. Understood. Yeah. Understood. You've got Dragon Con coming up, right? Yes. You correct. are the head of the Trek Trek. That is correct. Are you guys going to be there? Well, actually, our correspondents, they're going to be dressed up all as Andorians. Who's going to be there? You are going to no. be there? I don't know. Oh, oh my God. Maybe, maybe I don't want to make any commitments. I don't want to get in yeah, trouble with a higher no up, no like you. No worries. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> okay. So tell us what you have planned for a dragon. Well, we have Patrick Stewart there. Um, we have Carl Orban, who was here at this convention. We also have Jerry Ryan for the first time ever at Dragon Con. So everyone's very excited to have Seven and Nine there. And Walter Koenig, myself, and who else? a couple of other minor characters. But we have a, you know, it's going to be the same old, same old fun that we always have at Dragon Con. So I always encourage people to check out Dragon Con. I've been dying to go, especially uh, we have a few people that work with Priority One that uh, just talk so highly of it, that it's a much different experience than anything I've had the opportunity of going to. It is. Uh, let me ask you this, actually. You've been doing the convention thing for quite some time. Over the course of the last several years of conventions, with like the JJ coming out and, and those films, what changes, if any, have you noticed from fans? You know, what do you see? Changes from fans? The fans have been the same as long as I've been doing conventions. Still passionate about it is, I mean, what exactly? Well, are Can you, you be more specific? Yeah, are you seeing maybe a younger crowd? Are you seeing a different type of crowd? Okay, well, the good thing about Star Trek or Star Trek fandom is that it doesn't really matter where you enter. Some people enter from watching TOS, some from TNG, from Deep Space, Voyager, and now we have a lot of people that are fans because of the JJ films. So they become fans of the JJ films, and then they're like, hmm, I'm curious. Let me see what else is out there. They want Let me more. go to Netflix. They want more. So I have a lot of people coming up saying, yes, we binge-watched Voyager in like six weeks, all of the episodes, because of JJ's movie, right? And we even have new fans because of Orange is the New Black. People yes. that are watching Orange yes. is the New Black, watching Cape Mo Group, they're like, oh my goodness, what else has she done? Oh, she was Captain Janeway. So, yeah, so we, we really have a lot of new fans because of the newer franchises that have come out. Can you tell us about any uh, projects that you might be working on you know, coming up, uh, past, present, future? Sure. I've been kind of out of the game for a while. I've taken the last nine years off. Anything that I've done in the last nine years have been basically word of mouth, friends calling me up for cameos. Most recently, I did a film called Unbelievable, which is a bunch of Star Trek alumni in that. It's a slapstick sort of um, airplane type of comedy set on a lunar base, basically. Also, I did a voiceover for American Dad, so that was my most recent job, actually. So. That's exciting. How can fans follow you and be up to date with what you're doing? Uh, Twitter. Uh, my Twitter address is at Garrett R-W-A-N-G. You must have the R in between my first and last name. If you do not, you will find some young man in Singapore, <laughs> which that is not me. took your Twitter took handle. took my Twitter handle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, is there anything you'd like to say to our fans, our listeners out there? Um, no, other than just keep on listening. And thank you, everyone, for your continued support of Trek and of Voyager. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Garrett. Thank you so Welcome. very much. I appreciate your time. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. All right, this week in Star Trek Online news, we are going to kick it off with our patch notes, which have a couple of interesting things in store this week. So, uh, one thing, first of all, that has some folks a bit riled up is a change to the reward pack boxes of marks. So, mark boxes now can no longer be stacked in your inventory and hoarded. They now unpack upon pickup. 
This doesn't currently apply to mark boxes that allow a choice of marks. So those any mark boxes, like you used to be able to get for turning in birds, or which you could get, uh, what did you turn in for them during the winter? I forget, EPOs? You would trade EPOs for your choice of marks. Uh, what this mostly means is that the practice of storing up all your mark boxes and saving them for a bonus mark weekend is now not possible, which is what some people are a little unhappy with. Other than that tactic, I don't really see it having any impact because they weren't tradable or anything like that anyway. I would guess, and this is just my speculation, that the idea behind that is that the mark weekends are really meant to get people to play that content more, whereas instead it was having sort of a chilling effect where people weren't opening their marks, they were waiting until they could get the maximum benefit out of it. But that's just my thought on it. Besides that, the duty officer cooldown on the star cluster contacts has been reduced to 20 hours down to 4 hours, which should improve the frequency at which we can pick up some of the old star cluster missions at the new contact points, as the cooldown was making it a little harder than it used to be to pick up some of those DOF missions. The other main thing is related to the foundry. Actually, there's two things related to the foundry. The first off, they've continued to add a number of additional costumes to the costume editor. This time, a lot of the stuff from lockboxes or the summer and winter events, as well as some of the sea store costume variants. And there's at least something in there for everybody, pretty much, all factions. Finally, it is now possible to tag projects under the category quarters for your player housing and crew quarters needs. Now, I wanted to shout this out because I think it's really cool. The Grand Nagus actually brought this to my attention through a post on Reddit of his blog post on Starbase UGC, which is just sort of a little initiative or an idea to get more people to try out the Foundry by thinking of it as you can build your own player housing. Whether you want to make it your own quarters on a Starbase or your own level of your ship or anything along those lines. City of Heroes had something like this. Just saying, super group bases. Cool. It also, to me, makes a less daunting first foundry mission to create yourself a space with some neat features and cool stuff in it, rather than, gosh, I've got to come up with a whole mission story and a flow to it, and oh god, that's way too much. I, I couldn't do that. But this at least gets people to try it out and get familiar with the tools, and now they can actually have it tagged as quarters and you can search for missions that are quarters and it'll say you know you can name it whatever you want so and so's quarters which uh, i might try it out i mean i'm sure somebody's gonna find a way to exploit that and i don't know you click a console on the quarter you jump on the bed four times and you get like four hundred thousand dilithium <laughs> well i think a lot of that's time based now so i guess if they uh force you to uh fight a million ents in red shirts that came pouring into your quarters and uh jump on the bed for a half hour, you might be able to get some dilithium out of it, but I suspect most of that's been plugged. But I know I've been playing Overture series this week and getting a little more into the Foundry, and I got some recommendations from some of our listeners of tutorials for the Foundry. My wife is a big player of The Sims and has been looking for something to get her a little more back into STO, and I think this might just be the project uh, we take on. Build ourselves a little, a little love nest in STO in the Foundry. Aww. And then invite everyone to come join us. All right, Captain. So as we all know, Expansion 2 will bring us all into the Delta Quadrant, where the USS Voyager traveled more than 70,000 light years and traveled seven years to return home from Earth. 
Now, according to the dev blog, the team picked the Necrit Expanse seen in Star Trek Voyager's episode Unity and extend toward the Alpha Quadrant. You will, of course, be able to interact with species such as the Kazon, the Talaxians, the Okampa, the Herogen, and the Benthans. Going on in the blog, it explains what players can expect when moving in towards the Delta Quadrant. One thing that actually caught my attention was the discussion over the Borg. According to the blog, the Borg have had their own problems. Their invasion of the Alpha Quadrant has taxed their resources to the limit, and the loss of a Unimatrix was a major setback. The cooperative is taking advantage of this temporary respite to attempt to liberate more drones from the collective, and they've allied with other groups of Liberated Borg to help them succeed. Ultimately, what I'm getting from this blog is that we are going to get a lot of mission content, a lot of story content, things that we are going to have to do and interact with these species. Uh, I don't think we should be expecting STF-style gameplay uh, or queued gameplay. I think that this is we're, we're actually going to be able to do missions here. That's what I'm gathering. I mean, from this, you know, why, why go into that story about the cooperative? You know, why talk about starting at the Necrit Expanse and, and moving towards the Alpha Quadrant. Why mention species like the Voth in the blog? We're going to be busy. I think we're going to be busy, and we're going to be busy for a very long time. This is not going to be an expansion that people fly through or a level 1 to 10 kind of thing. Not in the sense of Legacy of Romulus. Especially that if we look back at Star Trek Online's repertoire of of content they keep one-upping themselves right so first we had some great featured episodes then we had some great content and then we have legacy of romulus and that was great storytelling there i think that expansion two we should expect to see some some time consuming events and missions that we probably shouldn't think about going through uh, very quickly i did ask this of al rivera when we were at the post panel q a yes. you know one of the questions i had for him was so al is this going to be content that people are going to be able to consume quickly and get over very immediately you know once it's out that's it people will be done with it in a week and he said no you know i think that we should be expecting an expanse a, a massive expanse probably better than legacy of romulus yeah, I mean, looking at Legacy of Romulus, most of it was focused on the actual Romulan storyline. You're basically looking at two full-length storylines there, plus all of Nimbus 3, plus some cues, and this time we'll be getting at least that much content added to the top end. So that's very different. I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. Moving on. Cookie. The dev blocks have a new and improved look with a sleek, and might I add, sexy... L cards display with the Starfleet security levels gradually granting access as we get closer to the Delta Rising release date. These new blogs will be a source of lore, and there are many more to come. We've just been granted access to the Ensign level. So far we've learned about the Talaxians, the Kazon, and the Okampa, but we are sure to see more species featured as we're granted more access into Starfleet security to help become more familiar with the Delta Quadrant coming in Expansion 2. See, I think these are pretty cool because I was not a big watcher of Voyager when it was originally on, and I still have a good number of episodes I haven't seen. So there's a couple of these races, like the Benthans, that I'm not even especially familiar with. So I'm looking forward to these. But I noticed the first page of the intelligence briefing comes from a Romulan commander, but is listed as a Starfleet intelligence report. And in that... We know it's coming from the Republic, presumably, because it's not a Tal Shiar Romulan Empire logo. It's a logo we haven't seen before, and it's 
directed at ship officers, which is intriguing. I mean, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I think the devil is in the details when we're this early in the information game. Is this something that we're intercepting? Is there some dissension among the Alliance, even as we've just sown the seeds of peace in the most recent featured episode? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I am a fan of the the layout. I really do. I really appreciate the UI and the effort that was put into developing this. You know, I know that we all have our issues with the ARC website, the new ARC website, but this really shines on a mobile device. It really does. If you visit the Star Trek Online website through ARC and you start looking at these new incoming transmissions and intelligent briefings, they look really good. I have a Galaxy Note 2, but I've seen people who have had other Galaxy devices that say it looks just as great. So I think it's a nice touch. It's a nice RP touch in a game that sometimes can lack that. It, you know, players have to make it for themselves, and it's nice to see these, especially on a mobile-friendly platform. It brings life to it, right? I'm not just looking at the ARC website anymore. I'm actually receiving a Starfleet intelligence briefing on my phone, right, on my pad. I like that. I gotta check it out on my iPad. Very immersive. It is. It's absolutely immersive. The blog also refers to a new Kazon leader. With the new leader of the Kazon, are they a growing threat? This raises some questions. Will you be facing them in battle? Who is this new leader and how is he relevant in Expansion 2? The Kazon also have energy weapons, shields, and tractor beams, but they don't have high-level technology. They have sheer numbers and ferocity. Have they grown since we last saw the Delta Quadrant? What is Operation Delta Rising? Is it just a fluff story to satisfy the craving for lore? Is it actually something we get to see in-game? In-game. <laughs> in-game. <laughs> Laughing Trendy spearheaded this new Elkar's devlog format, and her hard work has really paid off. It looks great, and it really adds a new level of immersion for players. She has also mentioned before that she has hidden Easter eggs in the blogs. For instance, in the top right corner of the security file graphic, it says, LT-59201. Get it, LT, laughing trendy? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> These blogs might have a lot of hidden stuff we might need to consider, so keep your eyes peeled. This is like the smoking gun theory, right? Like if if you see a gun in the on the desk in Act 1, somebody's going to shoot it at somebody in Act 3. All right, Captain, so here's our editorial part of uh, Star Trek Online News. Ooh, how exciting. Elijah's going to go on a soapbox rent number 15. In a recent column by Christina Gonzalez on MMORPG, she addresses the stigma that MMO players are inherently entitled individuals. Now, the article really focuses on the almost overnight acceptance of the free-to-play model and how players might often say, I'll wait till things go free-to-play, or I'll wait till that game goes free-to-play. But I thought that it could also relate to Star Trek Online, especially with the announcements of Delta Rising, Star Trek Online's second major expansion. Now, there's been growing unrest among the forum about the lack of follow-up from Perfect World or Cryptic since the podcasters like Priority One, yours truly, reported on Delta Rising. Players have questions, and with about a month and a half, maybe two months, on the countdown clock, official word on the new systems has been a little sparse. People are clamoring to find out. Now, I'm sure that there are reasons behind the apparent silence, reasons we may never know, but does the community have the right to the entitlement they express on a daily basis on the forums, the demand for answers? 
So, Jace, what do you think? Are players in the Star Trek Online community self-entitled? There's a quote from the article that I liked. She said, it's not a sense of entitlement to request or make a purchase decision, whether box, subscription, shop, or whatever, based on options developers have been offering us. I think request is the key word here, though. Entitlement's a loaded word these days. I agree with the author that it gets bandied about too much. I'm sure I've been guilty of it myself. It's a good sort of catchphrase, buzzword. But some folks go way beyond the level of making requests or suggestions to rage, bullying, or irrationality on the forums. Cookie, how about you? What do you think? Well, I agree that sometimes the intensity of some of the comments I've read, usually in the forums, are a bit dramatic and over the top, considering that it is a game. But I do understand that many people spend their hard-earned cash, time, and energy into the game. So I get it, I get that some sense of entitlement is understandable, but not to the extent that it would warrant abusive attacks towards the developers or other players who don't share the same opinion. To me, it devalues what is said. If it's excessively rude, abusive, or if it includes a personal attack, then I don't take it seriously. Even if they end up having a good point in there somewhere, the whole thing is ruined if they do that. I've noticed that Captain Smirk is really on top of those types of threads and puts an end to them, the ones that get out of hand. And unfortunately, he's been having to do that a lot lately. Yeah, you know, I bring it up from time to time. I used to be a forum moderator for a really big World of Warcraft guild, and it's not a fun job. <laughs> I'll tell you that. I think that you are going to touch on some of the points that I would say about that, but the very vocal group on forums is often a minority, but it's hard to get that data. But Honestly, one of the only reasons I visit the Star Trek Online forums is because I have a responsibility to, right? We have this podcast, and we do this podcast to do our best to represent the community while also voicing our opinions, our understandable opinions, Grand Nagus. But more often than not, I find it really to be full of a vicious pool of anger and malcontent. Now, this has been a topic that we've touched on before and other podcasts have discussed before as well. Now, sure, you'll sometimes find that diamond in the rough comment that offers constructive criticism. And for the most part, if not a good chunk of the part, like 99% of Priority One listeners are some of the best community members around. I mean, look at our Indiegogo campaign. You know, that wouldn't have happened had it not been for the awesome Priority One listener community. But the other day I came across a forum poster that compared Cryptic to a terrorist group because they weren't pleased with the direction of some game feature. Like seriously? Now don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to dismiss this person's opinion. And I'm a fan of healthy debate, as you'll find out in this episode's feedback segment. But it's that level of self-entitlement that really reflects poorly on the community as a whole. A Star Trek community, right? Of all communities, Star Trek. Now, fortunately for that specific post, other forum members jumped down this poster's throat for making such an abhorrent comment. But by and large, there's still a lot of ill-spirited people out there. Now, here's what I think the problem is. I've met more first-time MMO players in Star Trek Online than in any other MMO. And the likelihood is that they probably don't even visit the forums, those first-time MMO players. They might not even know that they exist. So their passion and appreciation for the game often goes unheard. It's not until they actually go to Star Trek Las Vegas and get the opportunity to shake hands with the devs and tell them how awesome the game is. It's not, and because I've seen it, I've seen it firsthand, right? However, there are more seasoned MMO players out there that are still clinging to the olden days when the forums were the place to hang when you weren't in game. These seasoned MMO players are out of habit, the most vocal, but because players 
don't rely on forums much, there's no one to balance the vitriol. And you know, one thing that I would say, um, partly in response to the Grand Nagus in the chat, because he points out that negative comments also stand out more. But I think also part of that is the forum format. Like Reddit is no utopia by any stretch of the imagination, but the threaded forum format is that whatever gets posted on the most rises to the top. So controversial things rise to the top because people keep commenting. You see what I mean? Whereas on Reddit, for example, controversial things may or may not rise to the top depending on if people deem them relevant and give them upvotes. Sort of a like-dislike system as far as up and down votes. Now there's issues with that for sure as well, but it's the nature of forums and the forum format is that anything that people keep wanting to chime in on is always going to rise to the top because it revives the thread. I don't generally comment on the forums except for the ones in our posts. <laughs> and when I do think about commenting, I get scared off because I see when people comment something positive and then they get attacked by the people that don't agree and I just don't want to have to deal with that. I don't want to I don't want to mess with it. I don't want to get stressed out. So I just don't say anything. So I have a feeling that a lot of other people are the same way. I don't know, but for me, it's like, it's not worth it. And that's sad. You know, Jace, I remember you and I were kind of having this conversation. We've had the major disfortune of working in retail before. Well, not major. <laughs> it's been a disfortune. And, you know, one of the things that you always see, if you've ever worked in retail, one of the big things is, you know, make sure you get those comments. Make sure you get comments. Make sure you push for your customers to take that survey. And more often than not, it doesn't matter if you had the best experience with that customer. The likelihood is they're going to go home. They're going to go ahead and enjoy their product and they're going to forget all about you. Now, if you treated that customer like crap, oh, you can rest assured you're going to write a long email and call and yes. tweet and, and hit the social media if you have a bad experience. But more often than not, you know, we, we, we forget, you know, we have a good experience at a restaurant and, you know, we go home and that's it. It was a good experience and we won't write about it. We won't go on their website and comment on it. And I think that the MMO community is absolutely guilty of that. You know, I, and this is not just Star Trek Online, but other MMO communities too. It's, it doesn't happen too often that you get somebody going online talking about how appreciative they are of either the game that they enjoy or they offer constructive feedback. And so here's what we're going to do, right? Because at least the Priority One listenership is some of the best community members in the Star Trek Online game. People who actually go out of their way to tell us how what an amazing job we're doing. And if we drop the ball on something, they'll come on and give us constructive criticism. In the coming weeks, what we're going to do is introduce a form on our site for you to fill out. And it'll ask you a few questions. The first question is going to be, first, your ad handle. What's your in-game ad handle? Second, it'll ask you for your favorite thing about Star Trek Online. It's going to get you to think, what what is it that I really enjoy about this game? And then the next question will be, what don't you like about Star Trek Online, right? It'll get you to think about that. Or maybe you have something already on your mind that you want a springboard or a soapbox to be able to reach out to people. And the last question, and probably the most important question, how you would change what you don't like about Stowe, right? What is it that, if it's something about crafting, what is it about crafting and what would you do differently? What is it about crafting you don't like and what is it that you would change? How would you like to see it, right? And like our standard feedback and answers to our community questions, we'll review the entries and read select submissions in the feedback segment of our forums. And back in the day, Brandon had the game ideas, and he would send those game ideas to the developers, and I want to get back to that. And this is the way that I'm going to do that. Because our listenership 
is so intellectual, so well composed, so respectful of each other. I want to have a doorway for them to express their creative ideas to the Star Trek Online development team. I noticed this also when the Delta Rising was announced. I heard that there was a lot of upsetting forum posts and people really upset. But on ours, everyone was respectful. Everyone, I mean, they had their concerns, but they worded them in a way where it wasn't. It didn't reflect what I had heard. And I still haven't seen those other forum posts. I'm sure they're out there, but I was very impressed by our listeners because our listeners aren't like that as a majority. They're not. They are an amazingly well-behaved, solid group of people that intimately include us in their morning commutes um, into their ears, (laughs) um, as somebody pointed out. So we will include these, and we're going to, you know, read select entries like we would in standard and feedback segment of our show. And I'm sure that the focus will change as content comes out. Like, I'm sure that right now, if we were to have that form up, the big influence would be about, well, how will Tier 5 ships be upgraded? And people giving ideas as to what the best method of upgrading those Tier 5 ships would be. But I want to make sure that we give a voice to the community that don't normally go out of their way to engage with the forum crowd. And then at the end of the month, uh, you know, we can easily export it as an Excel spreadsheet onto over to Cryptic Studios and let them pick at it. But, Captains, that wraps up Star Trek Online news for this week. We're looking forward to much more news about Delta Rising, the second expansion for Star Trek Online, including all the mechanical features that will be introduced to the game. In the meantime, let's jump into Command School, where we get schooled on Power Creep. I'm sure there is an answer. Well, better get some facts. All right, cadets, fall in for review. It's time for another session of Command School. This time we are going to talk about power creep. And we're going to start off very simply. As a lot of conversations may start to arise about this and already have taken place, some may be finding themselves asking, what is power creep? So Cookie and I were talking about this before the show, and uh, Cookie, what did you know about Power Creep before our discussion? I didn't know anything. I just thought, I kind of was thinking in my mind, maybe it's a ship tactic of how to get power, or maybe you go up and creep on someone from behind and steal their power. Yeah, that's pretty, I didn't know what it was. So for our purposes, I'm going to use a definition of Power Creep that was provided by TV Tropes. And I'll give the obligatory warning. TV tropes may even exceed Wikipedia in drawing you into the Blue Link Highway. So check out this link in the show notes at your own warning. But they say that power creep is a term used in any kind of multiplayer game, including video games, but not limited to, to describe the process in which newly added content can be played along with old content, but the new content being far more powerful and useful in every sense. This tends to leave old content completely worthless, save for a few exceptions. And this makes sense from a monetary point of view. New content requires people to actually buy and use it, but why would they use their money to buy some obscure thing they don't know how to use yet if they can keep on using their awesome Infinity Plus One Phaser by paying five to Lithium? Easy, you make the new content item just obviously better. They're Infinity Plus Two with an extra weapon mod and they only cost three to lithium, and that'll happen ad infinitum. This can get out of hand really easily though, and will lead to a fractured player base with 
players longing for the good old days, other people who just started who are like, oh, this new stuff is awesome. Why would you want to play when it was old and busted? Generally, generally power creep has a negative connotation because instead of adding something new and interesting and balanced, you resort to adding overpowered add-ons and takes the game beyond its normal limits or its old limits. It basically devalues what, what people have done. Now, there was an interesting discussion at Extra Credits, which is a feature from Penny Arcade TV, uh, which I'll also include the link in the show notes. It's about a seven-minute video. And they talk about this phenomenon and also some ways to get around it. So a few thoughts on power creep in STO. First off, a couple examples. First, while it may still be controversial to some, is the trait system, right? So before the revamp, the reputation-based trait system was a clear example of power creep because every time a new reputation got introduced, here's four new passive traits and a new active trait that everybody just gets on top of everything else they already have. That's pretty cut and dried power creep, right? As time goes on, characters just get more and more bloated with new abilities and it's just additive. Okay, take a few more points of crit here, take another proc here, take an active tetrion cascade here, and it just adds up more and more. So the change to that system, while seen by some as a nerf, is an answer to preventing power creep so that they can keep adding new reps and more depth and interesting choices to the trait system without it growing out of hand. Another example of power creep in the long term is how some of the older content has gotten trivialized. Like there are people who have done 60 second runs of infected the conduit on Elite or ISE. There are some folks who manage to do a two-man no-win scenario all the way through to the 10th wave. You wouldn't have been able to do that just based on refining your tactics. It's because since that content was introduced, there are new, more powerful abilities or equipment or ships, and they've refined their tactics to the point where they can take advantage of that to the full extent. Finally, moving DPS benchmarks is a pretty good example. Back when I first flew my Galaxy X, when it was a fresh, Sea store ship, I remember 10k DPS being the big elite benchmark that min-max style players or people who were very interested in, in trying to see what they could get out of their ships in terms of damage per second would strive for. Now, while that's still a goal to someone building a new ship, the elite folks are in the 30k DPS channel trying to get even far beyond that. So you could say, like people used to say in WoW, that green is the new purple when the expansion hits. For DPS, you could say 30K is the new 10K. But what I thought interesting about the extra credits discussion is they brought up the concept of incomparables or incomparables, things that are fundamentally or mechanically different, and thus direct comparison is totally arguable or subject to opinion or situational. And this helps relieve power creep because in those type of games, their examples were things like League of Legends or World of Warcraft, where you might say, oh, well, this character can do a sneak attack, invisible backstab, this other character can do a teleport. You can't say that one of them is mechanically just better. It's very debatable. In the same sense, there's some examples of that in STO, right? Fleet gear versus rep gear. Fleet gear is your ultra rare. It might have more mods. It might do statistically more damage when you hover over it for DPS. But your rep gear, even when it's purple quality, is going to offer unique set bonuses or modifiers against different foes. So there's trade-offs. Warp cores versus singularity cores. So if you're choosing between playing a warbird 
or a different kind of ship, you're not just looking at, oh, it has 200 versus 160 power. You're looking at that plus the singularity abilities. And then what other traits does that specific ship have? And this is likely the sort of thing we'll see in what they've mentioned as new features, unique features to T6 ships, but not as part of a new faction, something that is possibly available to everybody. And finally, simply class roles. While for many DPS may be the king in STO, how do you weigh the effect of something like a gravity well? If you're a cannon scatter volley escort and you're grouped with someone with a gravity well, you're probably gonna do more damage with all that stuff clumped up in your front 90 degree arc. But on a DPS meter, that science player or even just slightly science leaning ship is not really going to see a tangible benefit. So you're not there's not a direct numerical, oh, he out DPSs you, but he brings all these other things to the table. So obviously a whole new expansion lifting the level cap is going to change the playing field dramatically. But it's a planned evolution of the game, especially the first of this magnitude in years. So not really power creep in the negative sense. This is that first sense of power creep that you can see them talk about in extra credits where it's a it's a planned expansion or broadening of the game and in fact it's ideally in a perfect world haha so to speak see what I did there a chance to address some existing imbalances and set the game up at the new plateau of fleet admiral or dahar master for a long run founded on a broader range of interesting compelling choices and many unique effective builds rather than a handful of cookie cutters. So what I'm trying to kind of, again, I'm the middle-class player here, trying to really understand because, you know, the idea of power creep can be a bit more on the advanced level theory of, of MMO gameplay. For me, is the issue here the replayability of things like the STFs? Is the concern of power creep, okay, do I even bother worrying about my counter-command reputation system when quite possibly a new set of gear will be released with the second expansion, Delta Rising? That would be my first question. The second question would be, is the other issue, okay, so I haven't done any of the storyline missions from level 1 to 50 in a long time on my character. Am I supposed to want to go back? Is that a, a downside of power creep? Because that content, you know, you, nobody ever really plays again? Uh, I would say to your first question that the question of waiting to get new gear until the expansion is a little separate from power creep because it's a known quantity, right? We know there's going to be Mark 13 and 14 gear in T6 ships. We don't know yet what the upgrade path will be. So that's going to be up to the individual to decide whether they want to just keep playing as if nothing was different and just wait and see and be surprised. Or if you kind of want to hold your horses, find out a little bit more as we get closer to the date or if things get put out on triple and then say, okay, well, I'm going to want biomolecular weapons regardless and I'll just upgrade them later. So I'm going to go ahead and work on this. I know for me, I'm working on the Undine rep, the counter command rep, because I hadn't done it yet. And I'm working on crafting because I suspect that either gear upgrades or tier 13 and 14 gear crafting is gonna get added to those upper levels that Skiffy talked about there not being a lot on right now. I don't know that for sure, but that's a little separate from power creep. Now here's the other thing. You make the point of class roles, right? And that, that right now for Star Trek Online, quite honestly, DPS is king, right? And I think that that's, you know what the fault of that is? That is the result of designing a game that is solo play 
focused, right? It's a matter of uh, how can I kill these baddies the fastest? There's no reward for a science officer to throw that gravity well, right? There's no, oh, it, oh you threw the gravity well, thanks. <laughs> Let me go blow everything up for you now. There's nothing to measure the success of a science officer or an engineering officer. And I think that's important, right? Maybe, maybe that's what, maybe I've been going about this entirely wrong, right? Maybe it's not just a matter of making sure the science officer has something to do, but that the science officer has something that they want to achieve, some sort of measurable number that can give validity to what they are doing as a science officer, right? Because a little bit more of a tangible measure. Right, right. That's an interesting concept to go on. And we won't get too deep into it because I think that goes off mm -hmm. off the track of what the topic of discussion here is. But you make a good point. Um, I would also say in regards to your comment about the story missions, is that there's there's something to be said for that. Replayability does tie into power creep because if older content gets totally trivialized, then fewer and fewer people will do it unless they need something from it. Or the reverse can happen, which is if there's a, a useful reward from trivial content, people will do that instead of newer, more challenging content. So that's a balancing act too. Like ISE can be done in a couple minutes by even a moderately geared group who's done it before. And it still gives uh, R&D rewards, marks which can be even if you've maxed out that rep can be turned in for dilithium it gives dilithium the old stfs have a chance of uh purple mark 12 gear dropping one of the only places in the game other than carrot where that stuff even drops so there's still good rewards which gets keeps people playing it but do people play it preferentially over newer stuff because it's so easy unless they actually have a need for it like if I finish Counter Command, am I gonna to wanna to go keep doing Undine content if I can get most of the same stuff from ISE, which is super easy for me and I know by the back of my hand, like Scotty in Star Trek V, I'd probably blow up, like, you know, running headfirst into the beam and the brig. But that's been a little bit addressed because the R&D boxes only give certain crafting materials in certain queues. But that's, again, we're kind of straying in that on how do you keep people doing content. I did note in Marvel Heroes, which I also play, they're looking at creating a, they don't currently have a, a max level version of their story mode. Whereas at least currently, if you go back and play the story on a level 50 Vice Admiral, it's scaled to Vice Admiral, right? It might not be very challenging once you're geared up. I don't know how many times you're expected to play through story missions on the same character. Some of the featured episodes, we get multiple rewards, but it's an interesting topic. There's probably ways you could make that challenging enough that people would want to go certain specific missions, but it also has to do with the reward, which is a little separate. It, it is a, it's a complex topic because power creep ties into a lot of other things. Well, Captains, be sure to check out those videos and, of course, the definition of power creep with links in our show notes for episode 186. That's PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash P-O, letter O, 186. And we'll have those links for you, of course, in the show notes. Well, Captains, let's go ahead and get an update from Star Trek Horizon with its creator, Tommy Craft. And captains, we are joined again this week by Tommy Kraft, the creator 
of Star Trek Horizon, the independent film project. Tommy, thanks for stopping by again to give us an update as to the progress of the project. Hey, thank you for uh, having me here on, on, our, on your wonderful podcast. Thank you, thank you. So talk to us a little bit about uh, where we are in the project. You recently released a video blog. Why don't you talk to us about that video blog? What did you share with the followers of the project? Well, I went to San Diego on the weekend of July 26th for the premiere of Prelude to Axanar because uh, they flew me out because I was their digital compositor. So that was very gracious of them. And also while I was there, Alec Peters, the head honcho behind that, put me in contact with Ryan Husk, who was their production uh, coordinator, and Lisa Hansel, who is uh, one of their makeup artists. And then Ryan put me in touch with Rico Anderson, who's a great actor from Renegades and some other uh, Trek projects and actual TV shows and stuff like that. And we did some shooting for Horizon while we were out there too. So that was really cool. Uh, Ryan played one of our Romulan villains and Rico was a Vulcan ambassador. So it was really a great two-for-one weekend, seeing the Axanar premiere on the big screen and doing shooting for Horizon. And also in the video blog, I talked about the new video tutorial I released, which is an hour long, where I talk in depth about how I did some of the effects for the opening scene to Horizon, which is on YouTube. Nice. Awesome. That's fantastic. Well, congratulations on that connection and the ability to, uh, to get some amazing work done while you were in uh, San Diego. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Now, I do have a question for you. Tell us again your involvement with, with Star Trek Axanar and what it actually entails. So I was the quote-unquote digital compositor, which means that, because basically it was entirely shot on green screen. Right. So I had to create the virtual sets for all of the shots featuring people. The only shots that I did not do were the Archer Arena shots where Tony Todd is addressing the huge delegation or whatever you want to call it of people from the federation but everything else that i did it was all of the basically interview shots of saval gary graham tony todd richard hatch alec kate vernon and i did the backgrounds to the compositing on all of that all in all a total of like 150 shots in in all those came out beautifully. We had the opportunity of, of, of catching the screening at Star Trek Las Vegas, and it was a beautiful film. So to know that you have injected that type of creativity into Axanar, Prelude to Axanar, I can't wait for Horizon, right? Because Horizon's your baby. It's going to be just as beautiful, I can only imagine. I mean, we've seen already uh, footage from Horizon, uh, from what you've released, and it just looks gorgeous. So I'm looking forward to more. Well, thank you. That's very nice of you. It was definitely a lot of work. Uh, it, was, it was a very fast-paced thing. And thankfully, I have a little bit more time with Horizon. And of course, like you said, being my baby, it allows me to uh, dig from a deeper passion place than I otherwise would be able to. So talk to us about the tutorial again. What were you teaching and what can viewers expect from that tutorial? Well, basically, I'd had a number of questions from people very over time since I released the teaser, how I've done my compositing and virtual sets and such. So this tutorial was really the first part in what's going to be multiple tutorials by the time the film is released of me talking about my process from how I shoot a scene or rather the entire film on green screen, how I go from that raw footage, what my process is shooting, and then how do I build the virtual sets and the process behind that, how do I render those sets, and then how do I composite them all together 
and edit it all together for a final shot and scene. And so there really wasn't enough time, even in an hour, to cover everything in the process. And so that was like the introductory video where I just covered the basic process. And then in later videos, once I get some more time, I'll go into more in-depth stuff for some of the CG modeling and more compositing stuff. So there's definitely a lot to talk about. So now let me ask you this. This is a question that I posed to uh, Alec at Star Trek Las Vegas about Axonar. And that is... Do you have any concerns ever that CBS is going to just call you up and be like, yo, you got to stop what you're doing? Uh, all the time. That's always a fear <laughs> that's in the back of my mind because this is like, you know, this is my baby. It's something I've been working on for about two years now. And it would suck so much to have CBS, especially now that it's getting closer to the end of the project. I want to have this done for winter to have CBS call me up or write me a letter and say, hey, you need to cut it out. But I think, honestly, the likelihood of that happening is pretty slim compared to especially other projects such as Axanar and Renegades that have gone without any trouble because they are much larger projects, financially speaking. And, I mean, comparatively speaking, we made 20 grand on Kickstarter and you have these projects making hundreds of thousands of dollars and CBS is okay with it. And, you know, we're not using any copyrighted assets. It's all you know, originally custom modeled CG sets. The Starship is a model I made. It's all the ships are. They're not models that I got like from the actual show or anything. There's no audio from the show. So I think we should be okay with copyright. We haven't tread on really too many toes that I'm aware of. Well, I think also the nice thing about the community of independent filmmakers is that there is a bit of a dialogue. So a mistake one makes, you can learn from and vice versa. You know, I think that that and you're open for that dialogue. You're open to learn from one another. So that's a plus, right? Well, yeah, totally. And it helps too. I mean, like being friends with Alec and the rest of the Axonar crew, we, we kind of keep each other informed of what's going on. And if I hear something, you know, I'll hit up Alec about it. And if he hears something, he'll let me know. And, and we keep each other in the know about what's going on and, and the things that we have to be aware of. And, you know, if something does happen, it's nice to know that we always have this support group, really, that we've built that we can go back to. So let's talk about the community. What kind of feedback have you been getting from the community about the progress for Star Trek Horizon? What have you heard from fans? Almost completely nothing but good things. There's been a few that complain about the lens flares or something. There's, Are you a lens you know, flare man? Uh-oh. I honestly don't tell anybody, but I'm, I'm a big fan of J.J., and that's not to say that I copy everything JJ does, but I think, honestly, I think he's really good at what he does. But that said, I like a reasonable amount of lens flares. Now, the definition of reasonable is up to interpretation, I guess. But, I, I mean, there's been a couple other people, too, who have been really upset at us painting the picture of the Iconians as good guys. But generally, overall, people have been pretty positive and pretty happy with the results so far, which is which is really cool. It's very encouraging. So let's talk about the scheduling. I, you know, I know that you said winter, so we're still on for that winter release. Uh, nothing so far on the horizon, no pun intended, uh, <laughs> that has stymied its development in any way, shape, or form? Nothing yet. I was I was getting a bit worried with Axanar because that was, you know, that was so much work and, like, basically completely took my time for a couple weeks. But other than that, you know, that's been done for a while now, and I've been able to focus on this completely. And so it, right now it's just work, 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 
edit, 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 visual effects, visual effects, visual effects, and hopefully, I really want to get it done by December, but I, I haven't given an exact release date yet because I don't want to, I want to give myself the, the window of winter. But hopefully, yeah. yeah, that's what we're on track for. And and so just to remind everybody again, so the filming is done. Filming is done. Now it's a matter of the CGI and compositing and editing and the post-production, essentially. The filming is actually not done. It's, it's mostly done. done. Okay. There's like There's a few scenes that I haven't gotten yet, but most of it is done the most of the important stuff is done and so while i'm waiting for everybody's schedules to open up to get those last scenes there's definitely plenty for me to you know keep working on in the meantime in terms of the visual effects and the editing so that it doesn't halt the progress of the project at all well tommy i want to thank you again for coming on the show and giving us uh, an update on star trek horizon is there anything that we didn't cover that you want to get out to the fans of the project and remind them of course of how they can keep up to date well there's a couple of big things i want to tease on the horizon first of all the new trailer is hopefully going to be out within the next few weeks and what I, i've currently got about the first minute of the trailer down and it's gonna be about two, two and a half minutes long, typical length trailer. So there's that. And then there's also a couple of things that we're also planning on doing, and they're short films, but I won't go too far in depth as of yet, but one of them is focused on a new take on the captain, his first officer, a, a perhaps very reflective take, and the, uh, the other one is looking a little bit more at some of those Iconian stories that people were so upset about and uh, hopefully can quell some of those nerves. So uh, there's those two big things that are waiting to happen. So and these are like supplemental happen. stories? They are, yes. I'm planning on, I think, getting those out post-release. And so that'll help you know maintain interest in the film once it's out. There just isn't enough time to do them before the film is out. But yeah, there are supplemental stories that are coming Very for the cool. film. Remind everybody again how they can follow Star Trek Horizon, your website, and any social media. StarTrekHorizon.com, or we have our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash horizon, or you can just find it using a search bar and type it in Star Trek Horizon. And those are the two main ways to keep up to date with the project. Awesome. Well, Tommy, thank you again so very much for stopping by Priority One Podcast. Uh, We look forward to our next update in the coming weeks. We're looking forward to Star Trek Horizon and keeping a close eye on it. Hey, thank you for having me, and I I can't wait to come back. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. All right, Captains, we're at the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies to hear what you had to say about episode 185 of Priority One Podcast. Now, last week's community question was uh, that, quite matter-of-factly, we received a great amount of general feedback about Delta Rising. So we asked about your specific feelings about uh, Expansion 2 and what you were specifically most looking forward to. And we start off with The Grand Nagus via PriorityOnePodcast.com, and he writes, What am I most excited about in Expansion 2? In one word new in two words new trek what i'm really saying is i'm most looking forward to seeing the trek story advanced in a brand new way new gear is cool and all but it's the story and the new locations that i play for 
smiley face. So, Captains, we want to give a shout-out to the Grand Nagus who's been working extra hard at uh, bringing a spotlight to the Foundry. And uh, links, of course, will be in the show notes for all things Foundry and the Grand Nagus. Yeah, I believe they're giving away a, uh, an actual IRL TOS Romulan Warbird toy as a grand prize for their uh, upcoming Foundry contest. Joe Natan of Serenity's Grasp Fleet posted on PriorityOnePodcast.com. Great show as usual, and thanks for the coverage of Star Trek Las Vegas. Okay, so to answer your question, my primary reason for playing STO is the continuation of the primary universe. So I'm most excited to explore the Delta Quadrant. There are so many stories to be told, places to revisit, and new worlds to explore. It's going to be fun. You know, I'm going to play party pooper here and say... I really hope that they bring the Delta Quadrant to life, right? Because there are some worlds, <coughs> Doria, <coughs> Vulcan, <laughs> that are a little underdeveloped, you know? And, and that's an existing content. So I really hope that, you know, these are places that we're going to want to revisit and we're going to want to go to again and explore and get involved with. Sunseal posted on PriorityOnePodcast.com. The new skill tree. We've been seeing for the past few updates that certain things we've known and grown around have changed dramatically, like reputation traits, as they were tweaked to be independent of the current tree. I'm looking forward to this new system, testing all its aspects, and helping new and old players alike get used to this new endless skill tree and all the benefits that go with it. I couldn't agree more. Ward Callis commented via PriorityOnePodcast.com, as far as what I'm looking forward to, I would have to say it is the talent trees. In games like the old World of Warcraft, I found the talent trees oftentimes to be more entertaining than actual gameplay. I've always considered myself a serious theory crafter and enjoy spending hours poring over one spec or another. I do agree with what you said about having multiplayer options for story content, but I would like to propose it be taken a step further. I would absolutely love to see organized game content equivalent to rating that you see in other MMOs. To me, it would be one of the strongest reasons to have a fleet. You see, this is a really good example of the two sides of, of the MMO player, right? You have the two extremes, right? You have, I love the story, and then I love the math. And I hope that Delta Rising melds the two together. I really think they should just make a binar playable faction where the story is all math. <laughs> On the Star Trek online forum post for this episode, mhall85 writes, The only thing I'm concerned with is upgrading fleet equipment. Upgrading through the R&D system makes sense, but non-crafters won't like having the upgrade process tied only to R&D. My suggested solution, either offer upgrade paths in fleet stores that cost a reduced amount of fleet credits, or allow a sellback option to get fleet credits for old fleet gear. Not sure if the second option currently exists. Those are some good ideas. Hmm, very cool. Adam Lejeune posted on PriorityOnePodcast.com, I look forward to finding out whether or not I can upgrade my Tier 5 ship, specifically my beloved Fleet Avenger and Fleet Ambassador. I also look forward to exploring the Delta Quadrant and poning Kazon while watching Star Trek Voyager. Yes. The Kazon were a, like, absolute stepchild of the Klingons. That, I just, I hated the Kazon. I couldn't, I was so excited when, like, the Kazon story ended. Yeah, as far as the Tier 5 ships, I think we're all waiting to see how we're going to do that. Hopefully, we'll get a new ground combat item from the Talaxians that we will be able to wield against the Kazon Neelix's frying pan. <laughs> 
All right, so our next piece of feedback comes from Azurian Star via the Star Trek Online forum post for episode 185. As for tier 6 ships, Elijah, I don't think you understand why people are upset about that. Put it bluntly, we spent either hundreds or even thousands of dollars on these ships, or spent hundreds of hours grinding away to lithium and converting them to zen to buy these ships. So they may not be obsolete, but they sure are obsolescent. And the sales focus will now be towards tier 6 ships, starting us buying ships all over again. Okay, so the Grand Nagus also brought this to my attention, so to speak, as to trying to help me quote-unquote understand. And you know what? He tried to take me to task regarding that comment from last week's episode for that same reason. Although, I suppose that Grand Nagus' argument was more about the semantics of my use of the phrasing, I don't understand why players are concerned. I absolutely understand. You know, we spent money on certain ships. We spent time earning dilithium. We spent time earning fleet marks. And now all of a sudden, that can just be thrown to the wayside. I get it. I understand it. But we're not paying a monthly subscription. We're not paying for expansions. We're not paying for 0.5 upgrades or 0.5 seasons. We are participating in a free-to-play game. We're not paying for expansions. There's a lot of games that may be free to play, but they still charge for right, expansions. Right, right. Stowe hasn't done that with uh, Legacy of Romanus. I doubt they're going to do it with expansion, too. They're not going to. They're not going to. So a ship may not be a cell phone, but, uh, you know, again, having worked in retail, I guess, you know, I could go to Best Buy or I could go to Fry's Electronic, right? And, and when I go, I have that choice, right? I have that free-to-live choice of going to Fry's or Best Buy. Or Amazon, right? And when I go and I buy my piece of equipment, whether I choose Fry's or Best Buy, I know that there's going to be a point where my piece of equipment is going to turn obsolete, right? But I had the freedom of choosing which store I went into. I'm really using a gray, ambiguous comparison there, but the fact of the matter is, is that we don't pay to play this game unless you have paid a lifetime subscription or unless you're still crazy enough to pay a monthly, and we know where I stand with that, you should not be playing a monthly subscription to be playing Star Trek Online. Either do it free or bite the bullet and pay the lifetime. When push comes to shove, the progression of this expansion, to me, is like the progression of technology. My Note 2 is a piece of crap compared to the Note 3 or the upcoming Note 4, or even the Samsung Galaxy 5. And I have to accept that in the use of technology, right? I need the cell phone. Right, so I understand the concern that we have spent money. I spent my money on, on the Avenger, right? I spent that time and that the progression to earn it and get the fleet marks. I spent that time. I understand that. I understand that there's a connection to my ship. On the same token, I know that I like new hotness. And if I want the new hotness, I'm going to have to pay for the new hotness because I'm not paying subscription. I can also make an analogy because we talked about the technology analogy last week and I didn't think of this then. But I really think that the model we're going towards, based on what we've seen before with lockbox ships and pre-fleet ships, when fleet ships came out, can still be fit under that technology analogy, but it's more like your desktop computer, which you can get upgrades for. Yeah. I 100% yeah. believe, and I could be proven wrong, but I totally believe that our existing ships are gonna have an upgrade path, whether it's through fleet ship modules or some totally new mechanic, and they will get the basic step up to tier six, whether it's more console slots or whatever. There just will be some new mechanics that those ships will have that these won't. Just like 
in Legacy of Romulus, there was new stuff that everybody could do, but if you played Romulans, they had a whole new type of ship that you might want to level up a Romulan to play a Warbird-class ship. So with this, you can level up your existing character, you can level up your existing ship, I believe, or you can get one of the new ships and the new types of bridge officers there's going to be and use those. I think the whole path is giving us more tough choices to make, interesting choices to make, and more diversity of ships. When Legacy of Romulus came out, I don't remember hearing anybody who had a level 50 Klingon and a level 50 Federation character going, well, I should just be automatically level 50 Romulan. I don't remember hearing that. I don't remember that being an issue. And yet here we are with a level cap, with the addition of new game mechanics and a new ship, and people want to hold on to the old and busted. Why wouldn't you want the, the new hotness? And yeah, it might cost you some money or time, but that's the point of an MMO, is that you want to keep cheeks and seats. Otherwise, then, all right, let's go back to the subscription model then. Let's go back to the subscription model, and then let's not only go back to the subscription model, but let's then charge for expansions. Let's do that then. Pay 60 bucks for an expansion, right? Because Elijah's all up about paying that 60 bucks for the expansion, right? <laughs> i got to chime in real briefly. I, I am somebody that actually owns every ship in the game. I have every lockbox ship, every lobby ship, and every sea store ship unlocked. Uh, and uh, none of them were given to me. I've, I've earned them or, or paid for them all. Nobody's more worried about upgrading to Tier 6 than me, but I'm welcoming this with open arms because I always want more. That's why I have every ship. I always want more. I always want better. And this is it, it's coming, and I don't expect to get that completely for free. Because it's a free-to-play game, we need to support those devs. We need to support the development of the game. If, if they give us everything for free and there's nothing to spend money on, the game's just flat out going to shut down. We also got some feedback on our segment with Alec Peters from Prelude to Axanar. Admiral Tuvix of Priority One Fleet commented via PriorityOnePodcast.com. My favorite part of Prelude to Axanar was in the opening of the documentary where it said, narrated by John Gill. TOS fans might remember the episode Patterns of Force, where he was featured as a historian or advisor who interfered with the planet's culture and turned it into a replica of Nazi Germany. To a hardcore TOS fan like me, that was brilliant. That's right. I didn't catch that when we watched it, but I saw a reference to that online later, that the, the opening narrator, or the opening scroll, said, narrated by John Gill. That is such a subtle little Easter egg there. Vivian Anthony writes via PriorityOnePodcast.com, Project Axanar, awesome. I so think this would have been a better Star Trek TOS prelude. It's awesome. So, Captains, each week our social media channels are busy with your thoughts, your opinions, your hatred towards Elijah's misunderstandings, and, of course, your opinions of the show. So please keep them coming. Reach out to us on Facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at STO Priority One or shoot an email to incoming at Priority One Podcast.com. Well, that wraps up episode 186 of Priority One Podcast, recorded live on TrekRadio.net. Don't forget to subscribe by pointing your podcast catcher at feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. Captains, you know we love hearing from you, so let us know what you think of the show and submit your responses to our community question in the comments section on our site or on the STO forum post for this episode. Remember, this week's community question is, how do you feel about the potentially elitist mentality of the Star Trek Online community? Is there even an elitist mentality? Do you stray away from the forums? Do you try to 
offset the negativity or the malcontent? How do you get involved with the Star Trek Online community? Let us know again in the comments section for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash P, the letter O, 186, or in the forum post for this episode on the official Star Trek Online forums. Stay in touch with us throughout the week by following our social media websites. Head over to Facebook.com slash PriorityOnePodcast and give us a like. Or check us out on Twitter via at STO Priority One. You can even join the Priority One podcast chat in game. Just type forward slash channel underscore join space Priority One. Captains, we want to thank you for your ongoing support of Priority One podcast. Without your ongoing support, we would not be able to bring you the content you've grown to enjoy from Priority One Podcast. And don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions Guard Frequency Podcast at guardfrequency.com. It's a pretty good show. You should check it out. The Priority One fleet is recruiting. If you're interested in joining, just shoot us an email with your at handle and we'll be sure to send you an invite. The email is incoming at priorityonepodcast.com. Captains, a very special thanks to our guests this week, to Garrett Wong, who took some time out from the busy convention to talk to us about his involvement with Star Trek Online. And, of course, to Tommy Kraft, the creator and the mind behind Star Trek Horizon. Thanks to the entire team behind Priority One Podcast, including our audio engineer, Skiffy, and our audio assistant, Ben Churchill, and QA support staffer, Midnight Shadow 7. Happy birthday, Steve. Thanks to our graphic artist, Henry, a.k.a. Rami Linnale, and to all of our bloggers and their managing editor, Kate, a.k.a. Andorian L. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Epic Gamer Radio, Subspace Radio, and, of course trekradio.net but most importantly a big thanks to you the star trek online community our listeners without you none of this would be possible red alert shields up ready weapons engage What, what did you turn in? I thought it was sugar snaps. So we'll just ignore that. It's not wintertime anyway. Happy summer. <laughs> Love Nest. Remind me that that's the name of this week's episode, please. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Didn't, Is that uh, what happened? Didn't um, Rene Aubergenois, who played Odo, used to be on the show, Benton? 
I don't know. It's it's, no it's, it's 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 Benson. It's an old sitcom. <laughs> oh. Way to date yourself. I'm what? I'm oh, hey yo. <laughs> Sanford um, and Sons. What? <laughs> Welcome back, Cotter. What? Ah, uh, <laughs> that's older than Benson. The cheat is to the limit. Everybody to the limit. I was just gonna say that. Come on, baby, for Hogwarts. Ooh, how exciting! Elijah's gonna go on a soapbox rent number fifty. Hercules, Hercules. I, I'm just gonna go ahead and fade us out and fade the music. Out. <laughs> oh, thanks. I appreciate it. Let's see what happens. And I'm a little gassy right now, so just give me a second. I'll get out. Uh, if you're gonna rant, I think the rest of us are gonna go uh, have some drinks or something. We'll be back in like 10, 15 minutes. Is that good? Quiet. <laughs> what do you want? My cat's meowing. Um, <laughs> oh, I thought that's just how you talk to your wife. <laughs> rather than a handful of cookie cutters sorry cookie don't want you to get cut <laughs> thanks well with respect to your JJ comment uh, Tommy I appreciate you coming on to the show for the last time uh, it was fun to <laughs> I'm kidding I'm kidding <laughs> yeah right was like, wait a minute what, what just happened <laughs> I know I shouldn't have let that slip <laughs> Is this Skippy? Feedback. Sync four. <laughs> Feedback. What? Why was that funny? And he's the yeah, one brandishing the wine glass at me, folks. I am. I am. I just so you know. I'm just saying. He was shaking it at me dramatically. It was more of a swirl. That's how you. you That's brandy, wine. dude. Whatever. No, you swirl wine too. It aerates uh, the wine. Look, you're this about to get really aerated strong. by the Latin kings. <laughs> <laughs> M, M Hall 85, right? M Hall. I think it's M Hall, not okay. M Hall. <laughs> Mahala at your boy. Mahal. Mahal at your boy. Mahal and drive. M Hall. My note two is a piece of crap compared to the note three or the upcoming note four or even the Samsung Galaxy 5. Or the iPad. Shut up. <laughs> like Matrix Online. Like the there Matrix you go. Online. How dare you? Take a drink. That is such a subtle little Easter egg there. Anyone else excited about John Gill? No. Darn it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair enough. <laughs> Moving right along. I'm like, I'm like, who? What? The original series. I didn't. I, I watched yeah, it. Right. I, with it. I did. I just don't. Just don't care about it. Yeah, you no. watched it while you were doing your laundry. <laughs> I was falling asleep. <laughs> Next time you tell a joke, have a point. It makes it so much more interesting <laughs> for the listener. <laughs> I, hate, I hate you. Check out the show because it's cool. Yeah. This is Jason Church Sync 3. This is Skiffy, not really a part of this podcast. Sync 4. Oh. And in the. Are you all right? And in the recording, I'm good. Settle down. Hug <laughs> it out. <laughs> and in the recording booth is our audio engineer, Skiffy. <clears throat> Hello. <laughs> <laughs> but what's my motivation in this scene? <laughs> what a douche. <laughs> now, before we move on, I have to call out Bazag. Okay, our friend from Australia who was actually at Star Trek Las Vegas and did not share Tim Tams with us. Okay, now, 
I was informed of this abhorrent travesty. Abhorrent's the word of the week, Captains. By Woody Valley. So it seems that Bazag, from Australia, okay, who flew to Las Vegas to attend the 2014 Star Trek Las Vegas convention, brought some treats from Australia and didn't bother to share it with Priority One. I am absolutely saddened by this. I really am. I want to make a t-shirt that says, I met Bazag from Australia and all I got was this card that says he stabbed me. But no Tim Tams. Look, David didn't get Tim Tams. And David worked, like, his ass off that weekend. David needed Tim Tams. He needed, we needed a picture, we needed a picture of, of Tim, of David in the Klingon outfit holding Tim Tams. You guys, what are Tim Tams? 